The title of the sermon is going to be The Shift. The Shift. Okay? The Shift. So I want to talk about shifting. I want to talk about the shifts that take place uh, in our lives as Christians and the shift that must take place in our lives as we strive to become mature Christians. If I ask you the question right now, are you a mature believer? I wonder what your answer would be. If I said, is there room to grow in your life? What would your answer be? Is there room to grow in maturity in Christ? And what are the sorts of things that cause us to mature? Uh, what are the sorts of things that we, we would look at in our life to see if we are maturing? And in our passage this morning, if you have your Bibles, we will be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and uh, we're going to go, instead of 12 through 17, we'll go 1 through 17, uh, uh, Dale, 1 through 17. I've typed, I've typed a 7, or, or I've put an extra 2 in there, I guess. Uh, we'll be... S- 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll take the first, um, actually, that's wrong. We'll do, we're going to do um, 1 through 12. I'm sorry, 1 through 12 will be our text, 1 through 12. So I remember, um, I remember going to see Rocky 4. Y'all remember which one Rocky 4 was? I think it was the best one, I think. Uh, Rocky IV was, was the one that was like right at the height of the Cold War. And Rocky fights the Russian. Do you all remember that? Okay, we all remember the movie. We've seen it on cable many times, I'm sure. And my brother and I, though, we went and saw that one in the theater uh, at the, uh, uh, I can't remember what the name of the theater was, Bel Air, the Bel Air Theater in Hearst. And I have to believe that Rocky IV in some ways ushered uh, in the fall of the Iron Curtain. Uh, when Rocky defeated Drago and he made that speech in front of the Kremlin, you know, you could just feel the curtain trembling as it was about to fall and do away with communism. But what we loved about Rocky was that Rocky had courage. Uh, Rocky didn't quit. Uh, Rocky was down, but he was never out. Rocky fought for the people he loved, and Rocky was never alone, was he? Who was always there? Yo, Adrian, right? (laughs) Well, our passage today, as I read and studied it, kind of reminded me of those Rocky movies as we see here, uh, the courage that Paul displays as he has shifted in in his mindset from being one who perhaps at one time was alive for Paul, was alive for the things that Paul wanted and loved and wanted to see happen, and now he's a man who has crucified his former self, and he shifted, and now he's living for Jesus Christ. The death of Christ, the gospel message, is working itself out in his life, and that is bringing life to others who are spiritually dead, and they are coming to life. So I want to go through the passage and make uh, four points about the description Paul gives us of his ministry and will make application as we go along. But let's remember that uh, Paul here is writing this letter to defend his ministry. He's defending his apostleship. And despite all that's happened, he's not just hanging in there. And even though it looks like he's not, 
Even though it looks like he's losing, Paul is winning. And sometimes in our life, if we're basing it on the circumstances, if we're looking at the circumstances of our life, we'll say, this isn't working out. But if we'll look at it with spiritual eyes, and we'll realize what God is doing in our lives to make us more like Christ, we'll also remember that as we minister and as we give our lives away, that's what winning looks like in the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, uh, I ask that the words that I speak now would be your words that you've, that you've helped me to understand from the Bible, help me to relay the message of the cross uh, to, to us as we know that we need it as we uh, persevere in the ministry here that you've given us, uh, not only in Olney, but in our state, in our country, and then to the ends of the earth. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Look at chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Again, remember, Paul is, is talking about his ministry. He's defending his ministry. He's talking about this glorious ministry of the Holy Spirit, this ministry of the Holy Spirit that is more glorious than the, than the ministry that Moses had in the Old Testament. Because Moses, remember, had to, had to minister to the people with a veiled face. But now the, the veil is gone. We're beholding Jesus. We are shining the light of Jesus Christ. And so he says in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, because of all that, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Remember, we have a glorious ministry that the Spirit of God has given us. We can say, like Paul, that the ministry we have is because God has been merciful to us. Now, I'm operating under the assumption that all Christians are called to minister, that all Christians are called to have a ministry. I don't know what your ministry is. It's going to be unique to you. It's going to be unique to the circles that you run in. It's going to be unique to where you work. It's going to be unique to your family. It's going to be unique to the sphere of influence that God has given you, perhaps through technology or in other ways. But we all have a ministry as Christians. We've all been called to be disciple makers. Christians are disciple makers. That's one of the things it means to be a Christian. Is we teach others who Jesus is and how to follow Him. But here's an interesting thing about verse 1. If you have a ministry, have you ever thought about the fact that it's because God loves you and has had mercy on you and He's given you that ministry? How many of us think of our ministry as a burden? And Paul said... God's been merciful to give us a ministry. Ministry is not intended to be a burden. That doesn't mean that it's not hard, but there's joy in it. Or we could say, God, thank you for blessing us with this ministry as a gift. It's a way the ministry God has given you, if you will fulfill it, you've been called to Christ, you've been called to make disciples, if you will fulfill your ministry that God has given and provided for you, this is a way that he is going to allow you to mature in your faith and to grow and to be sanctified. Think of that. The way you will become more like Christ is as if you fulfill your ministry. And until you view yourself as a minister in the kingdom of God, until that shift has taken place, you will not mature in your faith. You can't follow Jesus if you, and mature in your faith if you don't do what he's told you to do. We'll always be an immature church. We'll always be an immature people. 
as long as there is an, an issue of obedience to the master, we're not going to mature. But when there is submission to his will, when there is obedience, there is great joy and there is great growth. And Paul says, because God has given us this ministry, because we're beholding Christ, because we are, are ministering under this covenant that is more glorious than anything the world's ever seen, we don't lose heart. That means we don't quit. So the first thing I think Paul is talking about in his ministry, the way he's describing it, I looked this up, it is actually a word in the dictionary. It's stick to You ever heard that word? Paul's got, how many have ever heard that word? Yeah, I had a band director or a coach that used it. Yeah, stick to and, and doesn't that describe Paul very well? The tenacity that he had as he ministered to all these churches, that he would plant the church and they would be doing great. He'd go plant another church and here come the Judaizers come in. <laughs> and they disrupt everything that Paul's taught them. And then it's just a constant battle. But Paul always stuck with it. And he says here, because I've got this ministry and it's the Spirit working through me, I don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. We take a licking and keep on ticking. And look, he says in verse 2, we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Here's the defense. What is he saying? He said, we don't lie, and we don't have anything to hide, and we don't twist God's Word, and we're transparent. We're not lying to you about having to change our plans. When we said we had to change our plans and we couldn't come to Corinth, we told you that, and that was the truth. We're the good guys. Even though you've rejected us, for those who are disgraceful, underhanded, cunning, twisting the word, and sneaky, those are the people that you're holding up and saying, Paul, why aren't you like them? And Paul's saying, because we're not like this. Because we want to be honest in the sight of God in the things that we do. And the, the people in the church would look at these these Judaizers, these false teachers that would come in, and they had all the slick words, they had the slick messaging, they had good-looking websites, they had good-looking TV show, they were flying around in jets. I mean, okay, not really. And they would look at Paul, you know? Paul would show up. We think possibly that he, that he was nothing to look at. It could have been that his eyes were diseased. So here comes the apostle and he's got this disease, and he's, he's, he's not impressive to look at. He's strong when he writes, but he's weak with his words. And he shows up in the church, and they say, Paul, why aren't you more like these guys? And remember, this church, they followed people, didn't they? Y'all remember that from 1 Corinthians chapter 1? I follow Cephas. I follow Paul. I follow Christ. I follow Apollos. They, they would split off into factions. And so there were some in the church that were still holding out. They'd not really given themselves back to Paul. And they would ask that question, I'm sure, Paul, why, why are you being rejected? Why aren't people believing you? And he says, well, I'm just trying to do this the right way. And when he mentions all of those things that he's renounced, we can understand those are the things that the false teachers are doing. That's what false teachers do. They don't tell the truth. They're not transparent. They're, they hide. They're sneaky. They twist the word. And for some reason, people eat that stuff up. Paul says, in verse 3, he says, but yeah, maybe people aren't believing our message. 
He says, look there in verse 3, if our gospel's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. For those who are not believing, those who don't see the truth of the gospel, it says, in their case, the God, little g God, the God of this world, that's speaking of Satan, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The veil remains over the gospel for those who are perishing. They can't understand it. They won't because the Bible tells us spiritual things are spiritually apprised. They've been also blinded by Satan, he says. The God of this world has authority. The God of this world deceives to where they cannot see Christ. They can't see the light. I've heard people talk about blindness. Blindness is darkness. In blindness, there's no light. If there was no light anywhere in the universe, we'd all be blind. But if you are blind, you can be in the brightest room or you could be out on the beach on a sunny day and you still wouldn't be able to see the light. You, you could be in the brightest place and if you're blinded and if there's a veil, you will not see. God has to give sight. God has to give the faith, the repentance. Of course, He does that in a way that's compa compatible with your choices. But never forget how amazing God's grace is. You were lost, and now you're found. And for those of us that are believers, we can profess this verse here, can't we? We can say, we were blind. We were blinded. But now we see. And so Paul stuck with it. He stuck with the churches. And he didn't lose heart because he knew what his ministry was, and he knew how powerful the Spirit was that the Spirit could take those who didn't believe and could give them faith, could con bring conviction of sin, could regenerate people so that they could be born again. Secondly, Paul's ministry was a ministry of service to others. Paul, look at verse 5. He says, for we proclaim, what we proclaim, he says, is not ourselves. What we proclaim is not ourselves. Our message is not about us, but what is it about? Look at the next phrase. But Jesus Christ as Lord. That's Paul's message. The message wasn't Paul. The message was Jesus is Lord. And he said, I brought this message to you of Jesus is Lord as your servant. He said, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let shine, let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We come to serve you. We're not proclaiming ourselves, we're proclaiming Jesus as Lord. And as we do that, just as God said, let there be light, and there was light, he can do that in the heart of a lost person. Paul knows that as he preaches and he brings Jesus as Lord, if he brings Paul if you bring anything else other than Jesus as Lord, if you bring anything else other than gospel, you're just going to win them to, to whatever that is. So you could say, okay, we're going to have, and I, gosh, I mean, we have a great praise team, we have great music, but if you win people to music, what do you keep them with? Music. If you win people with slick, what do you have to say? You have to stay slick. <laughs> but if you come with the simple message, the one that God works through is the one where you come as a servant, you humble yourself. You're not trying to make something great of yourself. And you just say, Jesus is Lord, and you preach the simple gospel. 
then just as he says there in verse 6, just as God said, let there be light, that's what's going to happen. That knowledge of Christ, the Spirit, that more glorious ministry, don't forget what we've learned in chapter 3, that more glorious ministry of the Spirit is going to work and people are going to be saved. The veil will be lifted. People will see the light. They will be given sight. And we proclaim that good news that people can know God. You can know God today. Perhaps even through this message as I've preached it, you've said, I need to believe that. There's shifts as I'm talking about. And the first shift would be that you shift from I don't believe, maybe to I want to believe. And then maybe from I want to believe to I do believe. And then you realize something as you make that shift and you come to Christ, as Paul talks about his ministry here in this chapter, in this paragraph, that ministry is hard and that it will be marked with suffering and you will have to pay the price to follow Jesus Christ and minister in his name. But it it is in that suffering, because we're weak, it's in that paying the price that we see the glory of God manifested. Look at verse 7. He says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. What does this mean? It means we are jars of clay. In other words, we have this treasure in jars of mud, really, right? And if you think about it, what is clay? What is mud? It's dirt. And that's what we're formed out of, isn't it? We are frail, we are weak, we are sinful, we are flawed. You'd think that the treasure would be carried in jars of gold. But God chooses to show His surpassing power to let that treasure be in us, in weak vessels, in vessels that break easily, that crack easily, that perhaps have a hole in it, and it constantly has to be filled. And God says, I'll just keep you full. I'll just keep pouring into you. When you break, I'll repair you. I'll restore you. And these weak vessels that we are are the kind of vessels that bring God glory. And so Paul says, yes, you think that I, Paul, you think that the apostle, the minister to you, should be a jar of gold, that I should be perfect, that I should be strong. But I'll tell you what, I'm carrying this treasure of the gospel, I'm carrying this Jesus is Lord to you in a clay vessel. And your criticism of me for being weak is misplaced because in the kingdom of God, here's another shift, in the kingdom of God, weakness is an asset. In the kingdom of God, weakness, not strength, is an asset. Weakness is is not a liability as some might think. In the kingdom of God, suffering is glorious. In the kingdom of God, the applause of man is what is dangerous. So in our mindset, if we're going to shift from having a a self-centered mindset to a, a mindset of I'm here to be a servant and to give my life away for the cause of Jesus Christ, we again must realize we will be afflicted. But although we're afflicted, 
we're not crushed. Because we're weak, we will become perplexed, but because God's power is there, we will not be driven to despair. We may be persecuted for God, but we will not be alone or forsaken because God is with us. Weak people who know that a strong God is with them can have confidence in the Lord. We may be struck down, but we will not be destroyed because we have a keeper of our soul. I think I've given this illustration on a Sunday night or maybe even on a Sunday morning, but I, I'm going to give it again because I love it. Ray Stedman writes about this in one of his books. He says, there was an old missionary couple that had been working in Africa for, for years and years, and they were returning to New York City to retire. And they didn't have any money. They didn't know how they were going to take care of themselves. They didn't know where they were going to live. Again, they'd been in Africa all this time, working for years and years and years. And as they got on the boat to head back to the United States of America, they got on the boat and realized that President Teddy Roosevelt was also on the boat coming back from one of his big Africa hunts. And there were all these people there to see the President of the United States. And they were, as he was boarding the boat, they had a band playing and everybody was fanfare. And here, this little old missionary couple that had given themselves in ministry for all these years climbs on the uh, boat and they just watch all the fanfare. And then when they get home, um, they're about to come off the boat and the husband says, you know, something's not right here. We've given our lives as faithful servants for God in Africa all these years and, and here we are. No one cares a thing about us but they're taking this man who's on a hunting trip and they're acting like he's the greatest thing in the world. No one gives two hoots about us. And his wife said, dear, you shouldn't feel that way. And he said, I can't help it. Well, when the boat finally did dock, there was a band there to greet the president, the mayor, other dignitaries were there. All the papers talked about how the president was coming home, but no one mentioned the missionary couple that was walking off the boat after him. They slipped off the ship, and they found a place where they could stay. And the next day, they were going to go out and see how they could make a living in the city. And then that night, as the man lay there in his small room, he said to his wife, my spirit's broken and I just can't take this anymore. I don't think God's treating us fairly. And his wife said, well, why don't you go back in the bedroom and, and tell that to the Lord? And the illustration goes that a short time later, he came out of the bedroom and his face was completely different. And he asked his wife, or his wife asked him, uh, dear, what happened? And he said, well, the Lord settled it with me. I told him how bitter I was at the president for receiving all the honor and glory and the tremendous homecoming, and no one even met us when we returned home. And he said that as I finished praying, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and said to me, well, you're not home yet. You see, that that's, that's requires a shift in the mindset, doesn't it? We're looking for all the glory here, the shift for ministry requires that you look and realize the glory is going to come much later. The crowns are not here. The crowns are there. And the crowns that you get here, they burn up. They are truly worthless. There's a price to be paid, but there's also tremendous reward when we get home. And if we'll remember that, it makes it easier to suffer for Jesus Christ. It makes it easier to function as a servant. It makes it easier to stick with it 
And then finally, Paul talks about this great shift that has taken place in verse 10. He says, we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. The the ministry mindset has to take hold in a believer. Paul says, we're carrying the body in our body, we're carrying in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in us. We have to carry the gospel. We have to carry the death of Jesus. We have to carry the message. And as we carry that message of death, the death of Jesus, the life of Jesus is manifested in us. That means that when people see you, when you're living for Christ, they see Jesus. Paul says it twice there. He says it once in verse 10. He says it once in verse 11. That Jesus, the life of Jesus manifests. It's made visible in us, even though we're just jars of clay. People can see Christ in us. Is Jesus manifested in you? Do you love others? Do you minister to others? Has there been a shift from selfishness to selflessness? Are you incarnating, are you being Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus for others to see so that when people look at you, they see Christ and not you because you've passed away. Death is at work here. Your life is ending. And when your life ends, that's when Jesus manifests so so you can have eternal life and so others can see Christ in you. So I hope that that shift has taken place in your walk with Christ. And as a challenge to you, I'd say, where are you on this journey? Are you just constantly thinking about how your faith affects you? Do you see your Christian faith through the lens of your own circumstances, your own needs? Or have you shifted and have you grown in maturity to where you can say, your kingdom come, your will be done. I do not consider my life of any account as Paul said in Acts chapter 20, or think of how John the Baptist said it, he must increase, I must decrease. That's a heart change. That's a mind change. It's there or it's not. There's the Christians who are here uh, at this church and are serving or even out throughout all the world. There are the Christians who say, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ in me. So how do you get there? Well, first again, you have to believe. If God is calling you to put your faith and trust in Him because of what Christ has done to allow for you to be forgiven of your sins and to be made acceptable to God, you must trust in what Jesus has done. And you must trust that Jesus is Lord. And then for some of us who would say, yes, I believe that. God has called me, I understand that. Well, it's time to stop viewing the church as a thing or a place that serves you and you think of it as people that you serve. People that you serve with to reach the community and the world. Seek to deny yourself, to follow Christ. 
we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. That's like follow the leader. Jesus laid down his life. Jesus laid down his glory. We do the same thing. That's how you follow the leader. Remember how you play that game? We do what the leader does. And, and if we, as we come to this, as we kind of hit chapter 3 and we move through all the way to really chapter 7, I've been reading this passage, uh, this section of the book, and saying, what is going on here? What is Paul saying as he defends himself? And I think this, this is the key idea here, where Paul's saying, this is the kind of ministry that's been blessed by God. It's not what y'all think it looks like. It involves me understanding how God is working and thinking about what my life is really all about. So that means everything in my mind has to change. It's like this, and it has to shift here. In thinking about my relationships, my time, my calling, thinking about your purpose, your marriage, your children, your money, your words, your preferences, and your heart. So be like Paul here, as he is encouraging us. Stick to it and don't lose heart. Be a servant as you bring the gospel to people who need to hear it. Don't be afraid of the suffering because God is using it to make you more like Christ. And let's walk out of here with a different mindset. Let's not walk out of here and say, well, you know, as people have been known to say, they'll say, well, you know, that really, that really didn't do much. That worship service didn't really do much for me. And what's the answer to that? Well, you know, we weren't worshiping you. <laughs> wasn't really designed to please you. It was designed to please God. And if we'll stop looking at all of life as, how does it please me? If we'll drop that and say, I've been designed, just like this worship service, I've been designed to give God the glory. What could God do with a people that were committed to that? Who said, we're dropping this old way. And we're going to take this treasure, even though we're weak jars of clay, we're going to take this treasure and let the world know Jesus is Lord. Start asking God to do things like that in your life. It's dangerous, isn't it? So he'll answer that prayer. He'll answer the prayer. He'll answer the prayer. If you say, God, leave me alone, you know what he'll do? He'll leave you alone. But if you say, work through me, Use me. I'll be a vessel for you. There's no telling what he can do. It's more than we could ever ask and more than we could ever imagine.